On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Eloise Sutton Kirby, the co-founder of Vincherry. They're on a mission to give recruiters an edge through tech. Vincherry is an all-in-one platform designed specifically for recruitment businesses of between 10 and 1,000 consultants. They simplify recruitment by providing the core elements of your tech under one roof. CRM, ATS, website portals, pay and bill, online timesheets, analytics, all wrapped together with a unique real-time collaboration tool, VinnyChat. She's been with Vincherry from day one, and it's been an incredible journey so far. They have 20,000 plus recruiters logging into Vinny daily, five offices globally, London, Sydney, Saigon, Singapore, Ibiza, a team of 140 and growing, and Vincherry is currently ranked as number one leader in the Momentum Grid by G2. Eloise, I'm thrilled to have you on the Purpose Led Leadership Podcast. We've been friends for two or three years now. You sponsor this actual podcast. We had a great um, session about a year ago on International Women's Day where we talked about Mm. some of your adversity. Uh, But also, I want to talk about what's happened since then and you've, you've lots lots has actually happened so for those that don't necessarily know been sharing what it does let's start with that what, what what's your business what does it do um so thanks for the intro chris um we're lockdown buddies actually aren't we we first yeah. started chatting and our friendship flourished in lockdown um so my name's eloise i'm the co-founder of vincere and what we are is we're a technology business um who work solely with recruitment and staffing agencies globally Um, So what we do is we provide a recruitment tech stack. We call it a recruitment operating system to recruitment firms. Um, So the whole goal of what we do is to help our customers win by giving them one cohesive tech stack that just works holistically rather than a bunch of disconnected different tech tools. Um, So, yeah, we found the business 2012. um, And, uh, yeah, here we are. I want to delve into the business uh, quite a lot mm. and also a recent acquisition or joint venture um, that you've had as well. But let's let's go back a little bit because mm-hmm. we touched on this before, but just, just paint a picture of you as a person and a human being, kind of your journey, if you don't mind, since school up until, up until now. Sure. So most importantly, mum of three, um, married to my business partner, Bernie. Um, well, I've always said mum of four, actually, because Vincere really is my kind of teenage child, I guess, the, the most demanding sometimes. Um, I fell into recruitment straight out of um, uni, basically, like so many you know, recruiters, basically, fell into recruitment and was really lucky where I landed. Um, I started working with a company called Michael Page, who many of us know very well. Yeah. Um, I got hired in Leeds, which is my hometown. I realized quite quickly that although I liked recruitment, I didn't necessarily want to stay um, in the UK. I was 25, had the travel bug, um, and I was really fortunate that I had some great bosses at the time who really were mentors to me, who said, listen, Eloise, don't leave recruitment, stay with Michael Page, just go abroad. And so they facilitated me moving to Tokyo. So that kicked off a second leg of my recruitment journey, which was working uh, for Michael Page in Tokyo. So I was working into the rather boring for me anyway, boring um, sector of finance and audit. So I was placing lots of Japanese auditors for a few years there in Tokyo. Um, I got out of recruitment after about three years and got into marketing, which has always been a passion of mine, um, before starting this business um, in 2012, um, which which is, is quite interesting, actually, because when I left recruitment, Chris, I never really thought that I'd get back into recruitment. Um, And of course, I very much have, albeit on the tech side of the fence. Um, So it kind of like, um, because most people say they they fall fall into recruitment. So it wasn't kind of a conscious decision to get into recruitment in the first place then, I take it? No, not at all. Um, But what a bloody great career. And I was so lucky. I mean, Mm. there's not many careers like recruitment where you can make an awful lot of money and learn basically the skill set of running your own business um you know you've got to be pretty resilient in recruitment um so I'm very grateful that I did fall into it Um, and it tangentially put me into this career as well so what's it like working with your other half come on spill the beans straight straight into it well we never met at work so we've been together Bernie and I for about five years before we started Vincere um so the first few years of switching gears from kind of, you know, just being in a relationship to working together were quite fraught, actually. It was quite hard. We used to butt heads and, um, just, you know, um, argue quite a bit, I guess. 
because I was only us in the business, so there was nowhere to deflect it to. It's a bit of a pressure cooker with any startup, I think. Yeah. Um, but we learned pretty early on that if it was going to work for us as a relationship and as a business, we had to figure out who was good at what and then let them own that and sort of stick in your lane um, and drive towards a common goal that you've got. And we always very much sort of shared that same vision of we wanted Vinny to Mm. be that number one recruitment tech platform for recruiters. Um, So we're quite ambitious with it from day one. But listen, Chris, I ain't going to lie to you. It has its moments, ups and downs, <laughs> of course. <laughs> like any relationship. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. I want to talk we complement each other. So, you oh, know, oh. it works. Yeah. It works for us. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because, I mean, you know, people can get one, one impression. That, you know, everyone knows that, you know, relationships can be, can be challenging. But to combine that in the business sense is really, really good. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your business and your vision, which you touched on. But I do want to talk about your kids very quickly. I think... Hmm. EVCC, I can't remember the third one's name. I've done quite well, two out of three. Yeah, I'm impressed. Um, so Eve is my eight-year-old, Sienna CC is my six-year-old, and then I've got little Val Valentine, who's two. Amazing. Two, boy, I mean, two girls and a boy. Yeah, and if you don't mind kind of sort of putting into context, I think, I think it's Eve that does have uh, a very uh, challenging um situation that you've, you've you've dealt with very very well I must say I'd like to I'd like you to sort of touch on that if that's okay sure so Eve um was born in 2013 she was born really a few months after we started uh, the business and so we were just getting Vincere um kind of up off the ground and she was born in April um and she was born with a very rare genetic skin disorder which is called recessive dystrophic epidermolysis bullosa which is a real mouthful um, many people understand it as butterfly skin syndrome what it means is that kids with this um, disease have very very sensitive skin to the point of if they bump themselves if they graze themselves the skin just lifts off so they have you know, constantly covered in bandages and, and very painful blisters there's also another element of it as well, which is as they get older, the mortality rates of kids um, with that strain of EB um, rise to about 60%. So wow. 60% of them don't get out of their teens. So it can be um, really, really painful and you know, very dangerous disease for, for children mm. who have it. And it affects randomly, Chris, you know, any ethnicity is you know, all around the globe, although it is rare um, and it can touch anybody. Um, and we never, certainly never was detected in the womb. Um, and yeah, we just didn't see it coming. I mean, it's unimaginable what the pain must be like for her um, physically, but also also mentally. And I remember last time we spoke around, around a year ago for International Women's Day, mm-hmm. we spoke about kind of pity party and, and, and not having that and kind of using that adversity and creating some sort of positivity out of it. And I, 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 I always get that with you. I always get this sense of, you say things how they are, but, you know, I, my, my sense is that you feel people have got a choice no matter what situation you're in. You, you, can, you can sort of dictate how you, how you respond, right? I'm a massive believer in this. And I think sometimes it makes, makes me sound like a real hard-nosed bitch. But I think the most dangerous, um, <laughs> one of the most dangerous things we can do is to to go into self-pity I don't think it's a very productive emotion um I don't mean that you should deny you know hard times and you know acknowledge them but I do think that you have to you have to get get through them and especially for children you know with Eve yes she's got this um painful condition and you know it's no one's fault it's just the way it is um but we've been both Bernie and I have been really careful about not not positioning it as something that she can use to get pity or can wallow in. We just mm. kind of accept it for what it is and she just, she deals with it. And I think that's really helped her because she doesn't see it as necessarily something that's negative. She sees it as something that is different and can actually be a real strength. Um, and um, I admire that about her. You know, she's only eight, but she's, um, she's got a lot more strength where's, where's, in the face. Of, mm. Sorry, where's that, where's that come from though for you to have that? Was it because of what's happened or did you just something happen to you to have this kind of inner strength? Because I, 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 that clearly you have that as a mother and a, and, and, a, and a partner to Bernie, but I think you have it in your business as well. So is there anything that you can put your finger on? I think, um, I think that, you know, probably when I was younger, I would wallow in a little bit of self-pity like we all do. But I think you've got to 
realize um when something happens to you like when eve was born and that's you know that's really kind of that's a situation where um you, you don't see it coming and you have to dig deep and be strong for your kid i think that forces a change and you have to kind yeah. of be live those values if, if i'm going to tell my daughter to to be that way i have to really be that way myself so um i think yeah eve eve's challenges has really forced that in me but i think um and you know birdie's very much like that as well so we kind of bounce off each other in that way um and if one of us is going down a little bit of a pity party we pull it back and it's like come on man yeah yeah you know that, that, let's not do this a hard-nosed bitch comment you made i i, I love that comment you're, you're not that but i mean the, the content that you put out i think i love it because it goes for the juggler and it kind of says it how it is so what 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 pisses you off about the recruitment sector in terms of inside the sector what pe- what but sort of bad practices or whatever but also people's opinion of it outside the sector uh, it absolutely pisses me off how people outside the sector disrespect recruitment you know i think it's a profession to be utterly proud of you know especially and one of the things i love about what i do chris is that i'm dealing often with owners of businesses and they happen to be recruitment businesses yeah but i think anyone who has the balls and the strength to start a business take that step stick with it make it happen early respect um and recruitment's a hard profession and people who are successful at it it's it's not easy and i hate that expression of it's not rocket science well (sighs) no nothing's rocket science about rocket science it still takes resilience it takes skills um so yeah it does completely rub me the wrong way when people chip at recruitment Um, and i think you know if you're a recruiter hold your bloody head high you know, yeah. we should be proud of what we do. We're change, you know, often changing lives by having influencing people into different career paths or different roles. Um, and you know, I, I think that's something to be proud of in what you do. I, I had James. Do you, what do you think about that? I, I, what I was totally, your take on that? I totally agree. I, I, I stand up. I had James Reed on my podcast yesterday, and we got talking about fees and when, when, when anybody starts to sort of criticise fees. And bless Stephen Bartlett, I love him. I think he's amazing. But I think his business partner Dominic. <laughs> put that post out will cause a bit of a bit of a hoo-ha I didn't but, see it oh it's just what basically saying that um recruitment agencies charge too much and you know they should charge five percent as there should be a levy on it across the whole recruitment sector it's kind of like uh, anyway <laughs> um how dare you how commercially naive was a bit wow. much i have to say mm. but it's a bit like what price do you put on someone you, when you find an individual and that person stays for two years four years six years you, you, you can't put a price on getting it right or getting it wrong and i think if it was that easy, go and do it your bloody self then. Do you know what I mean? Oh, my God. And, you know, everybody's trying to hire right now. It's such a candidate short market. A good recruiter is worth their weight in gold. I'm telling you. Um, I use re- I use recruiters. Happily pay those fees. Because, yeah. you know, it makes such a difference to how we operate, right? And what, what about kind of like in the, inside the sector? When we, the statement's like it's a ca- candidate's short market or you know what, what i guess what pisses me off is kind of like sometimes i feel there's too many cooks spoiling the broth i mean that's me coming from an archetypal 360 recruiter where i did everything but i do recognize now the landscape's mm-hmm. changed you need, you need to have delivery teams you have resources you have different people when you've got like nine people in one row i feel what that does is like when you when you place it it's great but when you don't there's no accountability so there's a couple of things for me what about you what, what pisses you off in, in, that, in that regard i agree with you there um uh, i was from a 360 model as well so i kind of tend to agree and i'm singing from the same hymn sheet there um what pisses me off from inside the sector you know i think i think you know whinging about it being a candidate short market you know your top operators ain't doing that they're not whinging about it being candidate short market they're being more selective about the clients that they work with or they're looking for other ways to overcome that obstacle. LinkedIn can become a bit of an echo chamber, I think, and a self-fulfilling yes. prophecy. And, you know, if you're whinging about being a candidate short market, if I was a recruitment boss, I'd be like, shut up. You're giving your, recruit- your recruiters excuses. Don't give salespeople excuses. <laughs> you know, remove totally. excuses. That's what, uh, that's what we should be doing. You touched on your vision. I, th- I, think, I think you said you want to be the number one operating system in recruitment um i mean i love your brand i love your product i think it's phenomenal um i'm an ned and i always i always advocate your 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 operating system but um this is the purpose purpose led leadership podcast so you set the business up in 2012 you've recently done some sort of deal as well so i want to sort of go back into why you did that how that affected you and what actually is the purpose of the business now sure so when we started the business it was 2012 right and we 
we're very well funded. We got money from a PE firm out of Japan, JAFCO. So we're very well funded, um, but we lack focus. So we actually started by building three products simultaneously, um, leading with a corporate ATS, uh, which was called Hiring Boss. Now, the product, um, we, we had the idea of kind of selling to HR, basically, a, a true ATS, like a greenhouse, basically. Yeah. And uh, we saw that, that gap in the market. It took us about three years of burning through six million in funding and just oh. a bit of a dog of a product, to be honest, trying to shoehorn it into HR um, before we realized that we were running out of cash and we had to focus and pick a product that we really believed in. Now, I hate selling to HR. I feel eternally grateful that I'm selling to recruitment owners, honestly, just all day long. They make decisions. Yeah. Yeah, God. Um, And so in 2015, we had a cash crunch, basically. Um, And you asked me about uh, adversity. That was really a tough moment for for us in the business. Uh, We came, we skirted close to kind of losing it, really. Uh, So we had to be very brutal and say, okay, we're just going to stop development on the other two products. And we're going to focus on what we know and what we love, which is recruiters, agency Mm. recruiters. Um, and so we picked uh, Vincere as of the three products and decided to go all in with Vinny. Uh, we rebuilt it, we refactored the product, and we launched it again in 2016 as a kind of a new new platform that we'd uh, that we rebuilt. Um, we had about 20 customers back in 2016. Uh, we were based uh, out of Singapore to save costs. We moved everything to Saigon, which is where I'm based now. About 150 people here. Um, and we decided to just make it happen. Uh, we didn't have a cushion of, you know, more money to put into the business. It had to work or we were screwed, basically. Uh, remortgaged houses, sold everything, we're all in. Um, and so we, we decided to really, really go for it. And we've gone from the 20 customers we had back in 2016, many of whom are still with us today. Uh, we've got about 20,000 daily uh, active recruiters logging into Vinny. Offices in six countries, yeah, team, team of about 150, and, and it's grown and grown. Um, and we're sort of in that sort of hyper-growth sort of mode right yeah. now. Yeah. Am I right in saying, though, that you recently sold part of your business or, or you've joined forces with someone else? With Access Group, yeah. So we actually signed a deal on Christmas Eve. Of all, nice. of all days. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a bit of a blur, actually. Yeah. Um, so we... We've always been quite ambitious with Vinny. We just see such an opportunity in the market to, to give recruiters everything they need to grow, basically. Um, so we've always been very ambitious with the product. And we, we came to the realisation probably about a year ago that with a tech firm like ours being privately owned, you can kind of only take it so far. And we yeah. are competing with people like Bullhorn and JobAdder, who are, you know, owned by massive billion dollar private equity firms out of the US or job boards out of Australia and we just kind of reached this ceiling where we thought you know if we're serious about being number one and and really being that challenger brand we need um, we need to get help from a big player so we started exploring you know what that might look like you know PE investment or you know joining forces with a competitor how would it look and we were really fortunate in that we had a few offers actually um, but Access Group uh, came to the table and just straight away, it just sort of felt right, really. And, you know, they're a really well-established player in the UK. They've got about 4,000 people globally, way bigger, actually, than I'd even realised, multi-billion dollar business um, who had this sort of sweet little Vincere-shaped hole in their current technology offering. Um, And everything that they have sort of complements what we have. They have payroll, they have screening gaps that would take us a lot of money and a lot of years to fill. Um, and the people are great and the vision is aligned. Uh, so we feel really, really lucky to have wow. been able I mean, to push I, this I, through. I, I commend that. I commend your ambition. I commend your um, awareness around knowing that you probably couldn't get where you wanted to get to without external support. But also there's the whole kind of bootstrap or versus PC the PE uh, private equity thing isn't it and I I was always very fearful when I was going through that process myself around I know I wanted to scale but bringing in external partners will it ruin the culture 
you know, would I feel differently about it? You know, am I reporting into other people? So, will you lose control? That was what I was scared of. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, what was going through your mind? Do you have all that kind of fear and anxiety? And how has that changed? Is it still? It's quite early days, isn't it? I guess. It's early days. It's been um, it's been very positive though, um, and it's been really exciting actually. But I think you know, when it's your business, it really is your baby. Mm. That's how I feel about Vinny, and you know, I feel in tremendous sense of pride, but also duty towards my customers um, about you know doing the right thing by my team, by the customers, and making sure that you know this is the right decision. Um, one reason why we went with Access is that you know, we had potentially much more lucrative offers on the table but and this was the biggest but you can imagine they would want to kill the product or slow down development or change a team and that wasn't what we wanted we didn't have to sell Vinny you know we could have kept going with it to be honest um independently but we wanted to you know we want to crack the US we want to open up DAC there's so much more that we want to do here um so yeah, for, for Access, it just sort of it, it we we, we realised as well that they just wanted us to keep doing us, not put speed bumps in the way, yeah. um, but just kind of help us be be bigger and get to where we want to go faster. Um, so it just sort of it just sort of worked. Some you know what I mean. You sometimes just know when you speak to people, don't yeah. you? You think these guys are not knobs. <laughs> no. No, exactly. <laughs> They're going to let us do us. So you, you yeah. So you. You want to be the number one, but but why? What what's what's the reason? What, why are you so transfixed on that? I guess we feel that recruiters have been quite underserved by technology vendors. Um, to be honest, I think that the whole model of how recruitment tech has been positioned to recruiters is kind of broken. So when we looked at our direct competitors, what we saw is you know they'll sell you a CRM. And then as soon as you want timesheets or you want candidate portals or client portals or other elements that feed around your CRM, which are really integral to you growing and making a lot of money, they will push you out to third parties or the marketplace. Now, there's a whole host of issues that come with that. Recruiters end up with these tech stacks, which become really difficult to manage. They become expensive. The tools don't talk to each other. We call it a tech stack that becomes a Frankenstack, basically. Um, so our model is intrinsically completely different to that you know we started by building a crm and then over the years as we've evolved and as our customers have needed us to we've added in other elements so you know pay and bill online timesheets apps for your contractors analytics um, and the idea is that you know you're not having to pay hand over foot to external providers to give you that stuff we'll own the problem with you you've got an issue you call us we won't palm you off and do that teflon kind of support thing that a lot of tech vendors do we'll look after you um you know we're all from a recruitment background pretty much we get how important that is that's a really Um, good answer because often when i go into businesses um the owners don't necessarily even know why they're doing what they're doing that sounds a bit strange but like for me it's it, it is about purpose and it feels like yes money is important to you and building a big business is important to you but the the quality of your legacy and what you're doing is is probably at the forefront of all that is that right would you say that's totally right and you know if you look at our background you know, bernie had a recruitment firm of his own that he built for 16 years he was a recruiter and he wasn't just you know a failed recruiter who fell into tech you know he had a 300 person business in japan and uk sold it to hayes mm-hmm. You know, he has, we have lived the problem that we're trying to solve, which is as a recruitment owner, you need a tech stack. You don't want to have to employ an army of people to necessarily look out, you know, look after it. You want it to be constantly innovated on. Um, and that's what we're doing. You know, we want to give that to our customers so they can, you know, they can beat the big guys. Maybe it's I've really- got a bit of a, ch- a chip on my shoulder. I am from Yorkshire. I love the whole idea of letting our customers beat you know, the big guys, the pages, the haze. I really get off on that. <laughs> I mean, I also say to my, my clients, you know, you can have the best database in the world. And I think yours is probably that, but, um, but sorry, operating system. But it's, you're only as good as the people you've got operating that that system and also the data <laughs> on the system as well, aren't you? So that's obviously, and people to you is an important thing, I understand as well. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, at the end of the yeah, of course, we're a tech, uh, we're a tech provider and we're very product focused product-led um but you know we're nothing without our, our team and we're nothing about you know nothing without our customers right so it's all about keeping them yeah. keeping them happy we'd always rather 
keep a customer happy rather than, you know, get a new yeah. customer on at the expense of current customers. So customers first, prospect second is one of our key values here. Amazing. On that point then, um, I'm going to ask you kind of tech versus human because technology is obviously really important, isn't it? But I mean, you've got to strike that balance between um, kind of delivering a service, but also having that human touch as well. What's your kind of general view of that? My view on that is, you know, listen, we are here to make recruiters lives easier and make them more productive, basically. And we're never here to replace the human touch. Otherwise, um, I mean, you, you just can't, you know, recruitment's still a, a people's game. Um, so when I, you know, we have a product called Vincere Automate. Um, it always rings alarm bells for me when people come in, customers come in and say, I say, what do you want to automate? And they go, everything. I'm like, no, you don't. You really <laughs> don't want to automate everything. You want to automate the stuff that's busy work that, you know, that is not productive uh, for your people and get them building relationships. That's the balance for me. Totally. You touched on us being lockdown buddies. And I loved uh, when we first started speaking, it was great. And, uh, you know, Clashy was a mate as well as someone I look up to as well. How, how did the pandemic lockdown affect you, your business? Also, what I'm finding is there's still a hangover from that where some businesses are, are sort of reluctant to bring people back to you quickly or whatever. And I, I sense that there's, there's there are, dare I say, I'm a mental health advocate and mental health first aider. I think there's still people sort of using that to their advantage, which is a little bit unfairly. So all that kind of sphere, work from home, work from anywhere, mental health, a pandemic, you know, talk to me about that. We, um, uh, the pandemic was obviously just such a weird time. And I think, you know, we're still going to see the after effects of it. We just don't understand the after effects of it um, quite now. And for us, you know, from a business perspective, the pandemic was um, a period of intense growth. So, you know, we went, I think we almost doubled headcount since the pandemic kicked off to now. And what we found was that a lot of our, you know, a lot of the savvier recruitment firms were taking stock during the pandemic. People who were on old clunky systems that, you know, couldn't stand up to the whole work from home thing. They were contacting us and needing to digitize. So the change was forced for them. Uh, we saw that a lot, Chris. Um, you know, people who were using old legacy on-premise systems. You know, if you weren't in the cloud when the pandemic hit, you were screwed and you yeah. had to move fast. So... So we had, um, yeah, we were busier than ever, to be honest. Um, in terms of the whole working from home thing, you know, we were quite, um, I'm quite against working from home, if I'm really honest. You know, I like, I, you know, we're, we're a mature startup, not really a startup anymore, but, you know, where I see, I still feel like we're a mature startup, where we're still building our culture and it's really important to me. And I think it's so much easier to build a culture and build a, a younger, sort of, you know, inexperienced team when you're in the office together. We are innovation first as a business. And I think, rightly or wrongly, my opinion is that innovation happens when you're belly to belly in the office where ideas can fight with each other and flirt with each other. And I think that happens when you're together. Um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I know that's not a popular opinion, though. Well, I've taken know, a lot of crap for that. I, th- um, I, think, I think on that point, I, th- I think I do. I, I, I've taken a lot of crap for that, actually. I've done a couple of things on LinkedIn and, you know, I've got, I've got to say what I, what I believe in. But I'm not saying that work from home is, 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 is bad. But I think if you just, just do that personally, I think it's, it can be more detrimental. I think a blend of the two is good. But also, you know. Awesome. Go on. I also think it's down to like individual businesses. I think yeah. it's such a thing where, you know, you, there's no right or wrong. And I think it's up for the business owner to decide. And it shouldn't be the right of the employee to say, I'm going to come into the business and demand work from home. You know, yeah. it has to be something that the business owner believes in as well. It's a two-way yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, those, those statements where it says you must allow the employee to decide, I think that's very dangerous ground. I think, yes, give them some autonomy and, you know, yes, they have some decision-making capability, but they can't dictate their employer, I don't think. I mean, you know, if you're running a recruitment firm, how you, you know, are you really going to effectively be able to ramp at scale, you know, really inexperienced new consultants? I just think it's way more difficult to do remote than it is in the office. So with, um, um, with, yeah, I agree. So with kind of diver- um, diversity and inclusion, um, the pronouns will come into, into the fore quite a lot um there's lots of stuff going on isn't there that we've got we've got to cater for which is all all great i think it's really good (laughs) what what do you think 
uh, men can do more of to help women in the workplace? Um, well, you're asking the wrong person, ma'am, because my <laughs> team is like, you know, our percentage of women in leadership is like so high. It's way, it's yeah. above even, you know, Amazon, um, you know, female founder. It, it, so it's, it's not really a kind of like, it's not really an issue that we've had too much in, in this business because my head of sales is from, you know, a woman, head of support's a woman, head of uh, implementations is a woman, head of yeah. analytics is a woman and head of product is a woman so uh, you know yeah 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 um so it's not really something that we've had too much and i'm a massive believer in um you know bringing on more junior uh, people and grow your own so we have a big culture of that here you know we don't hire that many experienced people we prefer to like train and coach and, and grow your own and in that culture you know you always would look at you know whether it's male or female who's the best person for the job um, so to male leaders, I'd say, you know, just you have to be open-minded, right? Um, and if you, you know, you know this, it, it's just completely alien to how we run this business, to be honest. Yeah. I said, actually, to one of my um, junior sales guys, Kevin, um, it's International Women's Day last week. I said, you know, what do you think about the whole break the bias thing, Kevin? He looked around. He saw all, you know, his bosses yeah. are all female. He went, what bias? I was like, yeah, yeah. good. <laughs> that, that's a very interesting point because... I'm, I'm going to be on dangerous ground now. I do 100% believe, and I know for a fact there is injustices and bias, you know, against against women as well. But I also feel that sometimes, um, you know, how we approach that is is really important. I think I think we've got to look at it from the whole perspective around. If we're going to constantly bash men for that, then that's not going to help. I think there needs to be education. I think, you know, we all we're all accountable. Um, and I, I mean, not in no way diminishing what's what's going on, but sometimes I feel that there's a lot of bandwagon jumping. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing that you they ride the bandwagon for one week a year, International Women's Day. Yeah. And then it sort of it goes on the back burner. I mean, that's, you know, you're talking about purpose-led leadership. If one of your highest values is treating everybody equally, which I'd say should be a pretty universal value that we all have as leaders, then, you know, <laughs> the rest should follow, I guess. No, definitely. So talk to us about um, sort of bad decisions or poor decisions or, you know, where you've kind of you know, maybe, maybe made a mistake or two. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Make them all, all the time every day. Um, <laughs> I think the, um, the worst decisions I've um, ever made have been when I've not made decisions. I actually think when I look back at times where I've cocked up, I think it's because I wasn't decisive enough and I wasn't making tough calls which in my gut, I probably knew I needed to make, you know, I've kept people in the business sometimes in roles that they weren't quite right for, or, you know, sometimes they weren't right for the business. Um, yeah. And I've prolonged that. I've realized over the years that that is a really good way to let rot into your culture. And you have to make the decisions, you, you know, when someone's right in the job. Um, yeah. And yeah. you know, when, you know, you know, when you're on the right path or not. And I think um, I've learned over the years just to be uh, back yourself on that i actually think making no decision is the worst thing you can do for your business and i'd rather make a bad decision than no decision at all yeah so do, do, do you feel that you're uh more or less or the same uh in motivation because for me kind of like oh, you're not going to sort of reveal the full details but you probably took some cash off the table you're probably financially secure now you've done that deal so kind of does, doesn't your motivation and purpose change now or or, or does it improve just shifts a bit, I think. Um, it this this deal with access means that we can unlock a whole new level of experience for the customer. Um, you know, we can bring in elements to our recruitment operating system that would have taken us so long to build ourselves. We can get those into the hands of customers quickly. So that's really motivating for me. Um, and it's also really motivating for me to see the new opportunities that we can give to the team. Because we've gone from being, you know, a team of 150 people to now a part of a much bigger organisation and the opportunities that we can give to, to people because of that, that's really exciting. Um, my motivation is higher than ever, Chris. You know, um, it's, given me a, yeah, it's given me a new lease of life, to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's 
in a really weird kind of time of sort of thinking, okay, it's not necessarily just my baby anymore. No. Um, I'm working as part of a bigger team. So that's been a little bit weird, to be honest. Um, on that point, but, on that point, on that point, then, have you kind of had to kind of like do more board meetings? Do you kind of feel like you're reporting into it? Is it, you know, is it, I guess you have to make some sacrifices in that regard, right? Or not? Um, I've got a, um, I mean, I have to do a bit more reporting, but you know what? That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. It's been quite interesting, actually. I'm like, oh, okay, a lot of opportunity here. I didn't realise we were making money in that area of the business. I should be more <laughs> on top of this. So that's been good. And yeah. um, I think the the thing with Access is you know, they are real experts in enterprise sales. So, you know, they've been selling into that really large kind of global player space in the market for a really, really long time. And that's not really where we've been playing. We've been kind of really wanting to own that mid-market piece of the recruitment sector. So anything up to you know, 300 seats, 300 people, we should be, you know, they should be working with Vincere, basically. That's how we feel. Um, what Access Now bring is just a whole other level of experience in an area that I'm really inexperienced in. So selfishly for me and my development, it's really interesting having people like uh, Paul Vogel, um, who I work with um, at Access, be able to give me a steer and just give me a different perspective and, and way of looking at things. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Mo- moving towards personal brand. I mean, I, I love, I love Vincherry as a brand. I love your business pages and your business branding and also your personal brand is, is, is amazing. What's your view on the importance of, of that and how do you treat your colleagues with their, are they allowed to sort of post what they want or? <laughs> yeah. I mean, post what you want don't do anything stupid um and i'd also you know i'd also rather not put like people post political stuff even though i don't yeah. tell them not to i think you know linkedin is you know, it's that kind of interesting blend, blend between personal and work you are representing the business yeah you know, for me i feel really lucky in that all of my customers and all of my future customers they're all on linkedin we're all in recruitment so for me it's really important to kind of have that voice um on linkedin not be too contrived you know, just be me, basically, um, and, and and show up regularly. It's been a really good tool for me, LinkedIn, to help connect with customers and just you know, build out that sense of community um, and communicate who we are. It resonates with customers. customers so, um, yeah, so um, how do you ensure that you cater for all sides of businesses? Because my understanding is you, you do have kind of like, businesses that have one or two people in right and you have some big businesses as well just just talk to us about that yeah so we have customers of all shapes and sizes we really really do and we love working with you know your one-man band loan recruiters um, who want to stay one-man bands forever or you know those growth firms those startups I personally love working with startups really gives me a buzz um all the way through to you know people you know 500 licenses whatever it may be and yeah. so we have different tiers of um, different teams who deal with onboarding um, sales and implementation basically so we can we can do it all we've been quite particular that our um, support engine is based out of uh, Saigon and London um, and our implementation you know people who will go and see you face to face if in, in you're in the UK that's all, all done out of London so our model kind of facilitates us keeping um, our costs low so we can then keep those costs low for our customers, basically, which so going, plays going, really well with them. That's amazing. So going back to the kind of the vision and the purpose, I, I always say that having a purpose, a vision and mission and values is the cornerstone and the vehicle and the fuel to build your culture and get everyone bought in. So how, how, how have you done it? How have you got to 150 people and, you know, how, how, yeah, how have you brought them in? Um. I mean, a lot of it starts with the, the hiring process, I guess. You know, make sure that we we hire people who we feel are aligned to our brand values and who will, you know, complement and challenge our culture as well. Um, but, you know, from the onboarding through to how well we do our reviews, everything is kind of tied back to our values. We've got six of them. Um, so when we're doing, you know, pay reviews or when we're doing just, in, you know, quarterly business reviews, everything is, you know, have you have you helped customers win? Helping customers win is a key value of ours. You tell me how. Are you helping customers win? It's a constant thing that we're kind of reinforcing every day, I guess. Um, you know, did the deal that you did did it, did it enable um, any of your colleagues to have a wealth creation vehicle? Or, you know, be part of the kind of equity of the business as well. Or? Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, so we made sure that we had kind of key key people from all different areas of the business. 
oh. um, on different you know offices as well. Um, we we included um, we included several of them. Um, yeah, so I, I, everyone benefit like a lot of people benefited from it. Um, I, think, I, I think that's really important because you know, as an owner and leader and yourself and Bernie, you, you can harp on about how great the vision is, but if 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 the the people that you work with don't really feel part of it. I find it's, I find it's quite difficult to, to get them to work as or believe in it or be as passionate as you. Yeah, well, I totally agree. Um, so, yeah, we were very kind of uh, particular about that. Um, and Bernie, Bernie did that with his previous business, actually, um, uh, when he sold to Hayes. Um, so right. we've kind of seen how that could work and how powerful that could be. Um, so we, we implemented that a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and you know, pretty much none of the senior leadership team were, you know, were all here, and we're all kind of carrying on, basically, yeah, yeah. renewed and recharged. I'm so, I'm so. <laughs> Take it to the next level. Fantastic. So, what, what do you? I mean, what makes a good leader in your eyes? I think a good leader is someone who is someone who lives the same values outside of work as they do inside work. This whole thing of, you know, this idea of having like a separate self inside and outside of work mm -hmm. or, you know, it's, it's just business doesn't wash with me at all. I think that, um, you know, you, you know, you've got one life, you're passionate about what you do. Um, you have the same values, which drive everything. Um, I think people sense and smell that. Um, I that. think another, you know, another thing about being a good leader is, you know, don't be afraid of messing things up. And if you do, apologize. We move on. We move forward together. You know, most business owners haven't been through, you know, like an MBA or been to a business school. They've just they've grown the business organically. They've made cock-ups and made mistakes and they've just kept it moving. Um, and I think, you know, no leader is kind of perfect. A lot of us are learning as we go. Um, mm. But if you're genuine and you've got your people's best interests at heart, your team will be very forgiving of that and they'll they'll get behind you and and they'll keep they'll keep you moving forward. I totally um back that. I love love how you articulated it as well. And I think there are a lot of leaders out there. And I used to be one of them myself actually. I, I used to back in the day I used to wear a suit. I love wearing suits. Put put a suit on. I became You look great in a suit, darling. Oh, Don't give you. up on the suit. Get a suit oh, back on. Love I'll put one on just for you. Definitely. Um <laughs> I want to come over and see you actually I really want to see your offices. Um but um yeah, I'd have put on a suit and become this kind of like different person. And I learned that that's not the case. And I think that I think actually vulnerability in leadership and, and curiosity and mm -hmm. being a human being is when you're when you're like that, what that I find is enables your team to be a bit more vulnerable. Because you what you want, you don't want to just them to just to tell you how great things are. You want them to tell tell you the shit things as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, tell you know, tell tell us what you think the direction of the business should be. You know, we've yeah. grown this as a really flat organization. And, you know, we have another one of our core values is it's not who's right, it's what's right. And I think that Love sense that. of not having too much ego as a leader, you know, mm. if someone can give me an, a better idea and an argument as to why that idea was going to work, let's do it and let's do it fast. Um, yeah. Just because okay, you're the technically the boss, what does that even mean? You know, it doesn't mean you're always you, right. <laughs> goes back to what you said at the start of this, where you, 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 you were humble enough to know what your strengths were what bernie's were and that's, that's what me and my business partner did we just i knew what i was really good at and the rest the rest is like let them get on with it and empower them to do it right get out of their way yeah <laughs> so just going back to mental we're kind of sort of drawing to an uh the end quite soon just going back to kind of mental health and well-being um mm -hmm. how what, what what's your journey been personally and how how do you look after yourself because there's a lot of pressure being a business owner doing a business you no know, doing a big transaction like you've just done being a mother you know being you know being everything <laughs> i'm trying um how do i look after myself listen i i find a well-timed glass of red wine at the end of the day goes down very well chris what's um, your favorite you know, I, I love chianti what do you like I like a bit of everything, really, as long as it's you know, red, red or, or white and wet. You know, it's good by me. I'm not too much of a wine snob, to be honest. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so long sometimes, whatever. Whatever. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's really important to prioritise your yeah, physical health. You know, I'm a big believer. It's, you know, if I'm going through intense periods at work, you know, I make sure that one thing doesn't slip and that's like I try and get my workouts in. Not that I'm a gym bunny, bunny. Mm. Stretch of the imagination, but I find that's really important for, for anyone's cool. mental health. Get moving. It's just yeah. a walk in the morning with my little boy. 
Um, so I'm careful with that. Um, but, you know, I, I think that you just have to accept that you're going to have periods of anxiety or stress and you just have to lean into it and just go with it and go hard because it won't be forever. And that's kind of what we sign up for. If you, you know, if you want to own a business or you want a really high performance career, I think it's going to be stressful sometimes. Don't kid yourself that it's not. So lean into it and just kind of accept it and just, just, just go with it. Um, what has because been it your... ain't it. Mm. Cool. Sorry. Sorry, come on, Chris. Um, I was going to say, what, what has been your um, dark, sort of darkest, darkest moment then? Um, personal wise, probably when um, we realised that Eve had this um, quite scary condition when it was first diagnosed. You know, that was, um, that was quite a, in, a scary moment. You know, we'd never heard of this really severe condition and we didn't know how debilitating it would be for her. You know, she's, um, you know, she's, she's a, got it relatively mildly. You know, we manage it really well with Eve. Um, but the uncertainty of not knowing where that would go was really scary. And there's still an element of that, but, you know, we're, we're a lot more um, knowledgeable about it now. Um, and then I'd say another period of intense kind of, oh, my God, um, what's going on would have been in 2015, where we really had to make some tough decisions with the business. And we were running out of cash. And we realized that uh, if we didn't do something relatively quickly, we we're going to, you know, it was all going to slip through our fingers. And, and I was heavily pregnant at that time with Sienna, my second daughter. So it was, you know, heavily pregnant. Eve was, you know, not particularly well. Business was going down the tubes. Okay no pity allowed what are we going to do because no one feels sorry for you um or no one cares about the reputation of a bankrupt business right so you have to uh to get through those times make it work yeah which You're we right. did um, that's amazing you, you say no pity allowed i kind of i kind of want to challenge you on that just a little bit because I, I feel it is really important to let go and have a good cry and fucking realize that actually you know things are quite serious now and again i think you you have to let you have to whether it's through therapy counseling or talking to other people, I think also if you hold things in too much and put on a brave face, that can be counterproductive as well. I agree. I do agree. But that's that to me is not self-pity. Right. That's like owning it and you know doing something about it. Um <clears throat> so you know, I think there's a distinction there. Okay. Between the two. Last two or three questions and I'll let you go. <laughs> um, oh, you don't have to let me go. I'm enjoying I wanna, it. Go I want to talk to you for, for a lot longer, but um What's, what's one something interesting that people wouldn't know about you? Oh, God, that's a bloody awful question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I think people see that I'm, you know, head of growth at Vinny and, you know, I've grown the sales team and the marketing with the sales team, you know, primarily. And they think, gosh, you know, you're this kind of killer salesperson. Um, wow, you must be, you know, an incredible sales leader. And, um, I'm very much the reluctant sort of salesperson. I don't even think of myself as a salesperson, ironically. Right. Um, uh, it wasn't that I ever kind of set out to be the kind of, you know, sales leader at Vinny. It's just that we never really managed to hire someone who, who would you know, do the job. So I just took it on organically since we started. Um, so people kind of think of me as, you know, head of sales and, but, you know, I'm very much a reluctant sort of uh, salesperson, to be honest. I just, wow. It doesn't feel like that cap fits me too well. But sometimes, I guess, you know, you've got to Amazing, get jobs there and it needs to be done. I, th I think you come across superbly well. And I think I think that's right. I think it's, it's often the, the people that, you know, it's often, I mean, I, I, uh, I've built businesses, but I class myself as a, an ambivert, which is between an introvert and an extrovert. You don't, what I'm trying to say, you don't have to be this extroverted type of person to be very, very good at influencing people, do you? Not at all. Not at all. And I think sometimes being a sort of like anti-sales person is actually, has actually really, really helped me um, in building out a sales team um, yeah. and, you know, connecting with customers. I don't ever want them to feel like, but ultimately I want, we turn down a lot of business. If we don't feel we're the right solution for a recruitment firm, then we'll bow out quickly and gracefully. I think kind of being the anti-sales approach, it often means that recruiters see that you're not out for a quick buck and they trust you a lot more. And it gives you longevity. I think, mm. I, think that, I think that's also the case within recruitment businesses as well. I think that um, people think it's heavy sales. And don't get me wrong, there is sales in there. But I think there's emotional intelligence. I think there's a lot of marketing is, is really important and branding. I think, I think, I think the, Increasingly. 
Mm. I think that's changed quite a lot, which is, which is a good thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. The whole, you said before, you said, you know, you use the word personal brand. I'm not a big fan of the term personal brand, but I think for recruiters, they really have to focus on building that personal brand out, you know, especially on LinkedIn. I think you're missing a trick if you're not, when you're in, a, you're in our profession. More questions. Um, so what would you say to the eight, your 18-year-old self if you had your time again? Say yes to everything. Don't put <laughs> limits on yourself. Go, go, go. You Love know, that. you just, yeah, just, just say yes, just go for it. You know, non, you know, if you'd have told me that at the age of just turned 40 a few weeks ago, at the age of 40, I would, you know, be running a tech business, um, living in Saigon. I would yeah. never, ever, ever <laughs> have believed you. It would have seemed, you know, completely, completely crazy. Um, I probably would have thought I'd be a French teacher or something. Um, so I'd, I just think, you know, just say yes to everything and, and take every opportunity, um, especially when you're in your 20s. And I think kind of put your, no, you're not going to like what I'm going to say here, Chris. What? I th- well, I think it's good to kind of put prioritize your career when you're in your you know, 20s, early 30s, because I think if you do that, it kind of looks after you um, when you get a little bit older. Yeah. No, I, I think Gary Vee says the opposite, doesn't he? He says, chill and don't, you know, be patient. I think patience is important, but I certainly put everything into my career. And I, I know I say that my, my only, if asking me that question, I would say put everything into it, say yes to everything, but do keep 5%, 10% back for, you know, personal life. Don't put like 99.99% mm-hmm. of everything. In. Otherwise, you, you know, you lose perspective. But I love yeah. your answer there. Your 40th birthday, before we go, uh, there's one other question after that. What did you do? And you don't look 40, by the way. You look like... 30 but anyway <laughs> oh you old charmer thank oh, god for botox um <laughs> i um i was i had the best 40th uh, that i could have ever wished for actually because i live in saigon and i've not seen my mum for over two years the last time she saw me my little baby valentine was a babe in arms and now he's a boisterous toddler i've not been able to see her because of covid uh, which was just awful um, and so she flew out and was able to be with me and Bernie and the kids for, for my birthday, which was really more than I could ever have wished for. So we had a wonderful time. Amazing. Very emotional. Oh, yeah. what a beautiful way to celebrate your 40th. So if the audience can take one thing away from you, what would that be? Take one thing away from me. I'd say that if you're listening to this and you know you're younger and you don't know where your career is going you do feel a little bit lost um i'd say keep your open mind lean in say yes to everything and don't look back keep it moving if you make mistakes doesn't matter it's not the end of the world just keep on trucking and you know you, you'll find your passion keep working hard and, and never give up oh, I've got cliche got... chris but it's no. what i believe what can i say i've got goosebumps i i'd, I'd, I'd prefer to regret something that i've done and regret something that I haven't done. It's, I mean, you said that brilliantly. What an absolute honour and pleasure. I always get something from our conversations. You always give me a smile. You're, you're inspirational. I take my hat off to you. An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really, really grateful to be on the show. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. The Purpose-Led Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry, the recruitment operating system used by over 20,000 recruiters worldwide. I chose to partner with Vincherry because I'm a customer and I love their modern rec operating system, a single tech platform to streamline the front, middle and back office operations of executive search, perm contract and temp businesses. If you're looking for a breed of new tech partner, talk to Vincherry. They have followed us on support with seven offices around the world. Check them out at vincherry.io forward slash chrisoconnell for an exclusive offer for all listeners.